Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. everybody um this is in liberty and health episode number 94 um i very rarely do live streams but i recently bought Streamyard, so i decided i might as well start uh, having people hop on and do lives get a little bit more interaction out of people so um make sure you check it out subscribe and everything uh, get your supplements through axeandsledge.com let them know i sent you use code metovic 10 at checkout and without further ado i got the great let me see if i can do this i i was just shooting the shit with chase before the show jesus christ there we go <laughs> what's up man Fucking boomer when it comes to this stuff what's up um dude how um what the hell's going on you are from illinois correct yeah i don't know how you knew that but i did grow up in illinois <laughs> uh, I, I, I watched your show quite a bit um today cool. and within the last week just to uh kind of familiarize myself with you um i watched your episode with reed it might have been the first one you did you had a mustache and i know it was <laughs> fake but you killed it dude I, I i couldn't pull off a mustache i'd probably look like a fucking rapist but you you killed it man i appreciate that yeah i wanted to spoof him and show up dressed just like him so i bought a pair of overalls and a t-shirt a maroon t-shirt <laughs> And a fake mustache. <laughs> yeah, dude. It was a seed rover Dale and Reed Coverdale. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, so, anyways, um, you seem to hang around in the libertarian esque circles, but you don't quite call yourself a libertarian. And I've heard you say that uh you more so vote Republican um a little bit more pragmatically, which I admire because I think some people get a little bit brazen about their support for Republicans, and it's like, well, you you're like picking the smaller pile of dog shit here. Although after uh, 2016, I feel like there's been some improvements. So um, I guess let's start things off. And uh, what kind of got you into politics? I read the fountainhead when I was in high school Mm -hmm. and it changed my life. And uh, ever since then I've had more and more interest in, um, in politics Mm -hmm. just because that book had such an impact on me and I think what it was is, I don't know if you've read The Fountainhead, but that book is all about um, the ideal individual and the principles by which uh, an individual person should live and their integrity to those principles. So the ideal person is someone who lives in perfect harmony with what their own ideals are, right? And these ideals have to be based off of reason. And if you really adopt that philosophy for yourself, I think it's really hard not to get interested in politics because then when you see a politician say something absolutely retarded, 
it's like so offensive you know it's like yeah. what and so you just like can't help but like get sucked into this like we have to stop these people because they're like ruining our ability to reach self-actualization right mm -hmm. and i think that was probably what got me really kick-started into being interested in i mean i grew up with in a conservative family my dad was a small business owner and i remember him bitching all the time about taxes at dinner and you know so there was like a little bit of that but um it was really the ayn rand that got me on the um on the political track Oh, I got you. Well, uh, that's kind of funny. My dad and my grandfather and his father were all business owners as well down here in um, southwestern Pennsylvania. So uh, I can definitely empathize with that. And uh, my sure. mom has been a Republican pretty much her whole life. And so has my dad. My, they both split up when I was relatively young. But I'm sorry uh, to hear that, man. Ah, well, you know, it's what it is. They uh, they both kick ass. I love them both dearly. But yeah, um, definitely when you have a parent who's a small business owner, I don't think I know any small business owners who... Um, you know, who are left leaning, <laughs> like Not you said, when you, yeah, when you hear some of the stuff that some of the left leaning people say, it kind of, it would make your skin crawl because you realize it's just so ridiculous. So it, it's almost like natural to go right because. Looks like his internet must've spotted out. A lot of these people. Oh my God. I get you back. You're back. Oh my God. Yeah. It's natural to go right essentially because these people are typically a little bit more concerned with freedom in the early two thousands. It almost seemed contradictory because they started cracking down on the fourth amendment and um, you know, with all the NSA spying and stuff like Patriot that. Act, yeah. Yeah. But it seems like they're kind of going away from that. So um, what were your thoughts back in like 2016 when Trump kind of came about? Because uh, it, it seemed like some people are like 50, 50, but it seemed like, throughout his presidency he actually united a little bit more of the republican party some people still didn't like him but like the base absolutely loved him right so i always loved trump and i still love trump but not because i agree with everything he does i probably agree with 55 to 60 percent of the things that he does but i <laughs> love him 100 percent of the time for one simple reason because everyone that i hate fucking hates him <laughs> Yeah, that, that seems to be a mutually agreed upon thing with a lot of people who tend to lean right is that he pisses off all the right people. And yeah, I, I get it, yeah. man. Yep. Yep. And the more they hate him, the more I love him. And I didn't agree with the way he handled the pandemic. There were all sorts of things he did that I disagreed with. I, you know, you overspent like crazy. Don't get me wrong. I could be critical of him all day, mm -hmm. but I fucking love Donald J. Trump, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know what? And I'm kind of bummed. Um, how long have you been on Twitter? Um, well, I've had my account since 2009, but I've really only been active about 18 months. Okay. All right. So I've had mine since I want to say about 2011 and yeah. I really started getting back on and actually gaining a following probably about six months ago when I started the podcast, just because it's like, okay, well, this is where everybody's at. And it, I, I do have to say as much as I think Donald Trump should spend the rest of his life in prison in a cell with no windows or anything. Um, I kind of wish I could still see him tweeting and seeing some of the stuff that he might be saying right now. It was amazing. <laughs> His tweets were really, they were, they were something very special. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I've heard a lot of people say that he won the election via Twitter. And when you read his, you know, old tweets, you kind of see why, but you know, it's because it's so funny to me that all he had to do is essentially tell people, I don't hate you. Right. And people are like, Oh my God, I can't believe this because for eight years of Obama, you were told that you're a racist, you know, you're Islamophobic, you're this, you're that. Meanwhile, it's kind of funny that their guy had bombed more Muslim countries than anybody prior, but you know, we're this. Nobody looks at, nobody looks at the facts, bro. 
Yeah, exactly. But you're an Islamophobe. And then, you know, now all of a sudden this guy comes around and says, hey, you know, I don't think you're an Islamophobe. I don't think you're a racist. I don't think you're a piece of shit. I just think, you know, you're a hardworking dude. You want to be left alone. You want to go to work. And, uh, you know, people are like, oh, my God, I can't believe this dude's like he's like some hero. But it's like this is like what any decent person would do. Well, whenever anyone calls you an Islamophobe, just ask them why they aren't Muslim and see if they can come up with an answer that doesn't sound Islamophobic. Mm hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, okay, so, so so you're not a Muslim. Why? Because you don't believe Muhammad's a prophet? Okay. Is it? Do you think he was lying or do you think he was just full of shit? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, just like stupid, right? Because either one of those responses is Islamophobic, right? And so like my theory on the whole Islamophobia thing is the only way not to be Islamophobic is to be Muslim. <laughs> it's, it's, I've never quite heard it spun that way. But yeah, you know what? I could... Right? I like it. I personally yeah. think he was a power hungry, full like evil con man, mm -hmm. which sounds pretty Islamophobic, right? But yeah. that's why I'm not a Muslim. <laughs> like if I thought he was like a legit dude, I would join the religion. <laughs> yeah, see the a lot of the religious stuff I hear people talk about it. Man, that's like such a freaking rabbit hole that I just can't say I ever quite dive down. So um I guess kind of tailing on to a lot of the political right stuff. Um, what were your thoughts on some of the foreign policy stuff out of the early 2000s? Did you kind of agree with what we were doing? And did you think going to war over the Middle East was necessary? I, I think I heard you talk a little bit about this with our read. Um, you know, it, yeah. it seemed like a lot of the right kind of changed their mind around when Trump came into office. Because he said a lot of the right stuff, but it, it didn't seem like he had like the full story. But he was right in his analysis like, hey, you know, they lied us into war and some of the other stuff. Yeah, that's a good question. So I was just a teenager. I was born in 1990. So when when 9-11 uh, happened, um, I, like most average Joe Americans, believed the official narrative. I mean, you had to be kind of a special type of person to, especially in 2002 or 2001, to like be able to dig in and use the internet and like kind of really look at what was weird about it. And I just think that people didn't have the time or the experience in terms of doing their own research on the internet to you know, come to the like Scott Horton conclusion, right? Which is likely <laughs> true, right? Yeah. So yeah, I thought, yeah, you know, I, I, I thought, and I would have thought, um, you know, even, even if I had been an adult at the time that, okay, obviously we need to like invade Afghanistan because, you know, these fuckers, you know, bombed us. And obviously, you know, uh, Iraq's a real threat because, you know, they have weapons of mass destruction and they're going right. to, I would have fallen for that totally. Mm -hmm. uh, but in retrospect, it's, you know, very obvious to me that the whole thing was a sham. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, yeah. So I think yeah, we never should have gone over there. We should have sent a special forces team to kill Osama bin Laden. You know, yeah. and that was it. Right. And I think most people agree, and I actually generally agree too. Um, that's kind of what it seems like we should have did instead of going on this 20-year regime, you know, regime change campaign. It's it's so ridiculous when you think about it, because um I had Joe Evans on, who's a uh, libertarian running for Congress out in Idaho, mm -hmm. and we essentially fostered such an untenable situation for them over there where we were just handing them money hand over fist there were kids picking up grenades that would blow up and kill children they'd turn bombs into like saudi princes and stuff like that well not saudi but you know different warlords over there and their population actually tripled from the time that we you know started there till the time we left well now what's going to happen now that we're gone not handing them cash hand over fist well now that population is going to have to deal with having you know this huge boom that they can't sustain because you know once again the gravy train ain't there anymore so not to say that we shouldn't have left because we, we 
definitely should have left. We should have never been there in the first place. But, you know, you got to see the whole picture of what this actually did. And I think a lot of people don't realize, like, how fucked up it is for us to go around the world thinking that we can change the world, make it safe for democracy when we don't understand these cultures. And a lot of places in the world just, you know, we're not going to be able to fix them. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I'm I'm really a big believer in uh, Jordan Peterson. I'm a big fan of his. Yeah. And I think that what he teaches about an individual also applies to a nation. So he says, like, don't worry about changing the world if you don't have your own shit together. Like, why yeah. don't you clean your room first before you try to save the world, right? <laughs> and I think that um, the United States has made a, a, a recurring mistake over the last 70 years of trying to solve everybody else's problems in neglecting our own here. Like, yeah. we're giving $40 billion to Ukraine, but we're, we have a shortage of formula. Like, what yeah. the fuck? <laughs> you know and i you know i did uh i did a tweet the other day it was dan crenshaw that asshole posted, you know, <laughs> yeah. posted like oh it sounds like a pretty good idea that you know we can uh fight the enemy uh russia without uh costing a single uh american life it's like 40 billion dollars the average american makes 1.7 million dollars in their whole entire life mm -hmm. and so if you divide 40 billion by 1.7 million that's 26,000 american lifetimes Right. And so like it's costing us 26,000 American lives to fund this shit. Oh, and so, yeah. You know, if you think about it like that, nobody's dying, but their whole entire life's income, like the amount of hours that they work just to pay taxes for the state, the amount of hours they don't work for themselves before the state are just thrown into that pit. And it's it's fucking murder, man. Holy shit. Yeah, dude, absolutely. Um, it, it's absolute insanity to me. And the way I've been trying to phrase this to people to really, I don't want to say necessarily invoke a visceral reaction, but this is stolen purchasing power, right? You look at yeah. all the stimulus checks and all the inflation that's happened, and we have a $30 trillion debt now. Um, when they're sending $40 billion over an aid to Ukraine, this is your purchasing power. This is your grandfather's Social Security. This is our Social Security when we get older, which we shouldn't even have that in the first place. But like, that shit's going to be gone. That purchasing power that you're that's getting stolen out of every single check, guess what? That just went over to Ukraine, baby. That went to go fight, you know, the the bad Russian man, right? This is it's absolute insanity. And I can't believe there's people seriously with Ukraine flags and their bios advocating that we should be doing this. It's it's unbelievable to me to think that, hey, this could end civilization if we continue to kind of poke the bear and people think this is perfectly fine. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. Yeah, I agree with you. And my question for the people with Ukraine flags is where the fuck were you when China took Hong Kong? Mm -hmm. You know, like that was a democracy totally taken over by the Chai Coms, but mm -hmm. there was no there was no media narrative of antagonism. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, there was just a little bit of hype about the, the rallies and stuff, but not really. And so it, it's just so hypocritical. And um, I don't know, I guess selective the the atrocities that we choose to to be compassionate about or emotional about right so yeah. like all of a sudden we care about ukraine but we don't care about the uyghur community community in china right or we don't care about the um you know incredible poverty in africa right why are we so selective about what we care about and the answer is because people are very susceptible to the propaganda media and they see it on the news and they care about that and nothing else because they don't think for themselves. They've outsourced their thinking to the private political press. Well, exactly. And to kind of tag on to what we outsource as a culture and as a nation, it's unfortunate that we've had to outsource our immunity essentially over the last couple of years. So that kind of gets to another thing I wanted to talk to you about. In 2020, where were you and, you know, kind of what were your thoughts in March of 2020? With the pandemic? Yeah. 
I was one of the people that knew pretty early that it was bullshit because I looked at the numbers. (laughs) Yeah. That makes two of us then. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean like probably within seven days of California announcing lockdown, I was like, this is bullshit. Yeah. And and the, the, what was really menacing about it was if there was really a serious threat, they wouldn't have had to mandate it. Mm -hmm. Like you don't, you don't, like if if we're about ready to get bombed, you don't have to mandate for people to take cover. They just will, <laughs> right? And so like the fact that they were mandating all the lockdowns and the mask mandates and all this shit, it was like this can't be real because if it was real, you wouldn't have to mandate any of it. And yeah. I don't know, there were just so many things that didn't line up. I thought it was total horseshit. But I, I've never trusted big pharma um, or, or or politicians for that matter. So it was it was pretty easy for me to um, uh, make the leap and say this is all bullshit. Right. So you're still in Illinois, right? No, I was only in Illinois until 2010. I went and I lived in Nashville for seven years and then I lived in California for three years. And now I live in Texas. Okay. So you've lived in Texas pretty much since all this began. I moved here six months after the pandemic started. Yep. Uh, Okay. And you were in California before? Orange County. Yep. How was that? Sucked. (laughs) Weather's beautiful, but you got to work in an office for 20 hours a day to afford your rent. Holy so you never shit. get to experience the weather. <laughs> yeah. Um, my stepbrother had lived out there and I remember he had a relatively small apartment and I think he said it cost him like $3,000 a month and he lived there with like six other people. And I was like, you yeah. know, everybody talks about going to Cali, but fuck that dude. Great place to be homeless. <laughs> well, yeah, it seems like that's kind of like more the, uh, the rule rather than the exception anymore. Um, yeah. So how has a uh, text been to you? Do you like it more in California? I love Texas. Texas. I feel like I was born to live here. Um, yeah, I love it, man. No, no state income tax. I got. I can carry my gun anywhere that I want. Um, you don't even have to have a license to carry uh, uh, here in Texas. You just have to be at least 18 years old and lawfully able to carry. No priors or anything like that. And it just mm-hmm. feels like um, it feels like the last American stronghold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> some other great states too. Florida's great. New Hampshire does some good things. Mm-hmm. Um, but Texas is a special place, man. Yeah. Um, do you think the fears of Texas turning blue are reasonable or do you think that's just kind of like a small pocket? Uh, that's a good question. I think that the fear of Texas turning blue long term is reasonable because you never know what's going to happen long term in any state. Um, but if you look at the numbers of the um, most recent primary it, it, uh, gubernatorial primary that we had, it's not going to happen this cycle or next or the one after that. Probably. I, I think that we've probably got a solid 15 before it um, becomes an issue. Mm-hmm. Like uh, if you look at the primary numbers, for example, uh, Greg Abbott got 70%, I think of the Republican vote in the primary. And he still had like 300,000 more votes than Beto O'Rourke in his primary. And Beto had 90% of the democratic vote. Mm-hmm. So there was much more consensus for Beto, but he still had less votes than the leading Republican contender. So I just don't think it's going to happen this, that soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's understandable. And uh, I feel like a lot of these fears of things going one way or the other aren't quite as guaranteed as people want to say. So like a lot of people are hyping up that there's going to be a complete total red wave this year. And I think that's true. But I don't think it's going to be quite in the bag as people think. So you kind of said earlier, if you know, the pandemic was as much of a big deal as people wanted you to believe that it was, then people would have voluntarily did it. Well, how many people do you still see wearing masks? How many people do you see wearing masks when you go outside? Like I go down to Pittsburgh, which is about an hour um, south of me, I believe. There's still people walking around outside with masks all the time. There's people who will literally like 
put you at arm's length to make sure you don't get close to yeah. like there there's still plenty of hype hypochondriacs so i think there's a lot of people still asking for this you know ridiculous tyranny that unfortunately we've had to put up with for the last two and a half years so i i don't think this red wave is quite as guaranteed as people want to think but i definitely think it's coming um what are your thoughts surrounding the uh, midterms i think that um if i had to guess today i would guess that there would be that that, that there's going to be a huge sweep um but i'm not confident that it's going to matter like i think a bunch of republicans are going to win and then are they going to do shit like are they going to pass any legislation that protects for the first amendment freedom of speech on big tech like are they going to do anything about that are they going to reduce spending and curb inflation are they going to audit the fed are they going to pull us out of these i mean look at the republicans man the vast majority of republicans voted to send 40 billion dollars to ukraine like why well, that's not that's not America first. Like you say, America first, and you're giving forty billion dollars to Ukraine. Like fuck you, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And so, so like, yeah, you know, I think there's going to be some America first candidates. But honestly, man, I would like to see, I would like to see Republicans get primaried more than I would like to see Republicans beat Democrats. <laughs> yeah, you know, I totally think it's a uh, a fair objection. I completely agree. And this is kind of where I see the utility of the Libertarian Party. As much as it's unlikely that we'll see any like big seats here in Pennsylvania, we have some people elected like mayor and stuff like that, which is cool. Um, I would really like to see the Libertarian Party become a good force for kind of getting candidates to be better on stuff. And this is where I kind of think the Libertarian Party Mises caucus strategy is going is basically they don't want to run against good Republicans. But when there's winnable races, then, hey, let's try and get our people in there. Um, what are your thoughts surrounding the Libertarian Party? And then I guess kind of tail into what are your thoughts with the Libertarian Party Mises caucus, if you're familiar with it at all? So... I think if the I think if the Libertarian Party was serious, they would focus all of their efforts on Texas mm-hmm. and threaten the Republican guarantee of the Texas electoral votes for presidential elections. So if every Libertarian, if if, if Joe Jorgensen focused 100 percent of her campaign on Texas and made the Republican candidate Trump at the time scared of not winning Texas, mm-hmm. then it would force the Republican Party to become more libertarian. They'd have to concede and 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 basically the the it would allow the libertarian party to have veto power over who would be president of the united states and i think that would be the the type of strategy that would that would um uh that would culminate in a libertarian party that actually makes a difference mm-hmm. um i you know i don't think you have to run to win in every instance i think that you know if we look at what happened between bernie sanders and hillary clinton for example obviously she cheated in the dnc primary yeah. in 2016 but if you look at what happened there she changed a lot of her policies to be much uh more similar to bernie's policies after the um, uh, primary election because she she wanted the Bernie supporters to vote for her in the general. And so even though he lost the election, he had a tremendous amount of impact on her policy. And had she, be, had she been elected president, Bernie Sanders, um, by running, would have totally changed the shape of that presidency um, uh, just by virtue of the amount of poll that he had. So, you know, we have to stop thinking about winning and losing and start thinking about leverage. Mm-hmm. And there's there's ways that you can you can even um, there's ways that minorities can weasel a hell of a lot of power. I mean, you got to keep in mind that when the Nazis came to power in Germany in 1933, only one in 40 Germans was a Nazi. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then the uh, Libertarian Party Mises caucus. Are you familiar with uh, them at all? I'm not familiar with the different caucuses. 
Uh, okay, well, the Libertarian Party Mises Cox is basically just trying to bring the Ron Paul revolution to the Libertarian Party. Um, and it's mostly based around people who literally were part of, you know, Ron Paul's campaign back in 2008 and 2012. So um, I guess a good follow-up question to that would be, what were your thoughts on Ron Paul if you kind of paid attention to him at all? I loved Ron Paul. I fell in love with him in 2012 when he was running, um, watching YouTube highlight videos. I read End the Fed and... Um, I even started the Belmont University Students for Ron Paul group. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I was Ron Paul would have been my choice in 2012. Oh, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Um, funny enough, I think 2012 would have been the year that I would have been allowed to vote because I was born in 94. But it, it was literally on my birthday was the day of the election. So, yeah. wow. Yeah. It would have been a little bit of fuckery. I think my brother and my mom both voted for Mitt Romney, if I remember correctly. In the primary? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> what can you do yeah yeah well you know that was uh kind of the guy that they chose and i think the republican party is starting to get better so 2024 um what are your thoughts on trump versus DeSantis? because this seems to be kind of a thing that's coming up a lot and um i feel like there's a lot of baggage with trump at this point because he's pushed the vaccine so hard and then his caving for covid and signing the stimulus checks and now feeling all this inflation a lot of people want to call it Biden inflation but it's like okay well your guy contributed to a lot of the problem ron DeSantis doesn't have that same baggage and i don't agree with everything that he's doing but to say that he's not effective is a lie like flat out this dude is playing the left's game the exact way they're playing it. And he's very, very effective. And he absolutely loves his people. He is a populist for all intent and purposes, the same way Donald Trump was. But I think Ron DeSantis is probably going to be the president in 2024, to be completely honest with you. Um, what are your thoughts, Trump versus DeSantis? I think that, um, I think that running against Trump is political suicide for Republicans. Mm-hmm. And I think he might run, but I, I think what he's, if I had to guess, and this is just my speculation, man, if I had to guess, I think that he's, he's probably pulling for a VP ticket. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that Trump's going to, going to run. And I think that if Trump runs, he'll definitely win the primary, regardless of whether he'll win the general. And mm-hmm. I think DeSantis would be a hell of a VP on that ticket. And they would be a hard pair to beat in the general. Um, but I'm not sure that DeSantis seriously wants to be president in 2024, though he may run in order to leverage himself into a VP position. Mm-hmm. You see, I'm kind of like 50 50 on that. I don't know that DeSantis doesn't seem like the kind of guy who'd want to take, I don't want to say necessarily a backseat, but he doesn't seem like a vice president kind of guy because if you look at his rhetoric and the way that he talks, he isn't quite like a public speaker, but he, he's very dominant. If you know what I mean? Like he's assertive when he says the things that he says, you know, that he means what he's saying. So with a guy and a personality like that, like I said, I just don't see him wanting to sit as VP and maybe I'm wrong, but uh, you, you think that he would run for a VP? Yeah, I think, I think he would, but your point is well taken. I agree with you. I think that he's, he's a call the shots type of guy. Um, but you know, the, the vice presidency is a major stepping stone to the presidency. There's a lot of power that comes with that. And the other thing to take take into consideration as well is that when Trump was president, um, he really empowered Mike Pence to do a lot of really cool shit. Like he sent Mike Pence to the border of North South Korea. Mike Pence was responsible for the uh, operation warp speed, even though, you know, whatever fuckery you think about that, but it was, still, it was a big responsibility. It wasn't, you know, it was like the most important issue that year, right. Was the pandemic. And that was main, one of the main uh, things. So, you know, I think that um, 
if DeSantis were to be Trump's VP, not necessarily VP in general, but Trump specifically, that it would be more of a leadership role than a, you know, a, a passive uh, type sit, sit around and with your thumb up your ass type position like it was when Joe Biden was VP. Yeah, well, in 2014, you know, we definitely kind of laid the groundwork for a lot of the fuckery that we're seeing today. Yeah, and, uh, You know, you could see with all these tragedies all the time, it's, well, tragedies. We kind of lay the groundwork, and then when it blows up in our face, we're absolutely surprised. And history always starts today. And this is the same deal with 9-11. This is the same deal with everything that's going on in Ukraine now. Um, I actually had a friend tell me that the uh, Nazis in Ukraine was a right-wing talking point. It's like, oh, well, what, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> just because it's, it's a right-wing talking point doesn't mean it's false. If Hitler says 2 plus 2 is 4, is it not? Just he's an <laughs> asshole? <laughs> well, that, that might be considered pro-Nazi propaganda. Right, right. <laughs> um, so what are your thoughts on the Roe v. Wade situation? Because I feel like this is kind of a, a ditch effort for the Democrats to kind of get a lot of the vote and secure their seats in the midterms. Because if um, women look at this very, very strongly, right, because we've been kind of indoctrinated to believe that it's, you know, a woman's body. She should be able to do anything that she wants. Um, and personally, I'm pro-life. I believe that the choice isn't whether or not to kill a baby. The choice is whether or not to sleep with somebody. That's when you have the most power. But once you, you know, if you voluntarily choose to have sex with somebody, then the potential consequence of that is that you're going to have a baby. But a lot of people aren't taught to look at it this way. They're taught to look at it as, well, this is your body. So if you don't want that fetus in there, then you should have the ability to, you know, yeet as fetus. Um, do you think that they're playing this up to kind of garner people back to their side? Because women are a large voting bloc. So if you can kind of mobilize women to, you know, feel strongly about an issue, and this is like just, you know, you turn these people into one issue voters. Do you think that's kind of what they're going for? Well, I, th I don't think that it was like a setup, but I think that they they're exploiting it. Right. And so, yeah, I think the left is going to is going to leverage the hell out of this, both in the midterms and in 2024. Mm -hmm. And even when Roe v. Wade wasn't really an issue, it's still abortion still seemed to be like a, a front and center political issue in every single presidential election since the 70s. Right. It, like it would remember when it would come up in like 2008, 2012 and be like, why are we even talking about this shit? Like, you know, it's already legal and there's nothing you could do. The Supreme Court ruled. Right. And, yeah. you know, it, I was caught by surprise that it got overturned. But, um, yeah, I think the left will exploit it. Um, I don't know that it's going to. I, I just I need to see how it's going to play out because it's very possible that there's some sort of uh, federal uh, legislation that, that comes forward that legalizes it nationally. Um, and so mm -hmm. we'll just have to see what would really be a tragedy would be if um, um, we if if we went back and forth every time the power dynamic shifted. So four years of abortion is OK and then four years of no, you can't do it. It's illegal. That would be a tragedy because that would just really fuck with the like the whole system. So I think that we need to decide one way or another. If I had it my way, I would um, I would legalize all abortions in the first trimester, and mm -hmm. I would illegal I would make illegal abortions in the second, third. That would be my like compromise. Like, hey, you got three months to figure your shit out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I was. It's not something I. It's not something I would ever personally do if I had the choice. Right. Yeah, and uh, I. As much as I disagree with that position, I think that's probably going to be the most tenable and the most like everybody kind of wins. And I still think 
abortions murder regardless but sure. once again you are never going to convince the majority of people of this because this is such like an ingrained cultural issue and this is really the way that i look at it like i said i think people have been told and taught not to take responsibility for their actions so therefore if you don't have to take responsibility for you know hooking up with people and then ending up with a baby that you didn't want then okay it's okay to murder because you know you don't have to take responsibility for that and right I think it's a big cultural thing well, the other thing about that, too, is I, I agree with you. I think it's murder. Uh, mm-hmm. However, I'm not sure that making it illegal will actually prevent the abortions. I think it yes. will catalyze a yeah. black market and then there's going to be injuries and there's going to be self attempts at abortion and there's going to be you know black market drugs that have bad side effects and it's just going to be all fucked up. Yeah. And so, you know, if you look at it from like a utilitarian perspective rather than just like a you know stringent moral perspective, it's like, all right, how many like baby lives are we actually saving? by making this completely illegal. Like, are people just going to go to Mexico or are they going to do back alley abortions, you know? And so that's why I'm willing to compromise on the policy, even though I morally am totally opposed. Right. Yeah. Well, and honestly, that makes sense. And I'm not necessarily in favor of making it illegal either, just because, you know, for the reasons you outlined as well, because it's, once again, we see what happens with pretty much everything else. The government gets their hands in and kind of makes illegal and it just generally ends up as a clusterfuck anyways. So I, I don't think, you know, just kind of slapping the illegal badge on is going to make all the abortions disappear overnight. It's going to be, like I said, it's a cultural issue. And you're just going to have to educate people a little bit more on it before they really change their mind on it. But that's, once again, that's not just a, hey, we put this in schools tomorrow and then all of a sudden we're in Ancapistan, like all libertarians kind of think we're going to be, you know? Right. No, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. Mm-hmm. But it'll be interesting to see how how it plays out and you know hopefully i just hopefully we get to a point in this country where culturally abortion isn't accepted regardless of the law because there was a time when in the united states where there was a tremendous amount of consensus around the issue that it was the wrong thing to do so people wouldn't do it not because it was illegal but because it was shameful Mm -hmm. and i think we should make it shameful yeah yeah well honestly i feel the same exact way about plenty of things and i think we have a lot better of a culture and society at large when you have more of that socially enforced shaming where people understand that there are certain norms you need to uphold. So this is kind of why I, as much as I'm a libertarian party guy, at least here in Pennsylvania, um, I'm not like the libertine libertarian, you know, where it's, Oh, it's free love. You got into the middle of the woods and, you know, take ayahuasca and then fuck your neighbor's dog or whatever, <laughs> three days sure. a week. Um, I, I always call myself a socially conservative libertarian. Um, do you, one thing that I think, made Trump such a force and same thing with Ron Paul was the fact that they had a cultural impact. And, you know, if you look at someone like Mitt Romney or John McCain, they're just establishment Republicans who are just politicians through and through. But when you come to Butler, Pennsylvania, right, this is the middle of nowhere in Southwestern Pennsylvania, there's 50,000 people that showed up chanting, we love you to Donald Trump. That represents something, and I don't think you would have had 50,000 people out there for Mitt Romney. I don't think you would have had 50,000 people out there for Joe Biden. You might have been lucky if you would have got 2,000 or 200. (laughs) Sure. Do you think that there's a cultural move on the right, and do you think it's good, and do you think there's anything that could be improved? I do. I think that the right is the right base. I call it the American right versus the political right. I believe the American right is increasingly populist. Mm -hmm. And I think the worse things get, the more populist it will become. Mm -hmm. 
And I think history is a, a prophecy, and we've seen this happen in other nations. And the more the political class exploits the people, the more populous the people become, for better or worse. And uh, I think ultimately what's going to happen is it's going to manifest in a um, tremendous shift over the next 10 years in the political dynamic. And I think it's a good thing. Nice, nice. Um, do you see any downsides to kind of what's going on right now in the uh, American right? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, um, I'm trying to figure out how to frame that because it's sort of a complicated one to, to answer. Mm -hmm. I think that the American right is um, too jumpy to to blame. And I think one of the problems that we have on the right right now is that the people have realized that they can't trust the mainstream narrative, the what I could call the private political press, mm -hmm. but they are not good at finding who to trust. So yes, yeah, CNN's bullshit. So now you trust Q? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I think that's yeah. a problem. Like, it's like a crisis thing. Like Nietzsche said in the 1800s, he said, God is dead, right? And he said, and he, he predicted what the implications of that would be. And he didn't mean God literally died. He meant if everyone stops believing in God, which is going to happen, then they're going to replace God with something else. Like, mm -hmm. the state, right? And we saw a lot of that happen in the 20th century where there was like this, there was, there was a shift away from like religious authority to leaning on the state for the things that you would typically have faith in like your religion for or take comfort. Right. And yeah. so I think um, uh, uh, we're, we're seeing the same thing happen uh, only on like a, uh, on a more secular scale in that mm -hmm. the right is now like the press is dead. Right. Or the, 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 the government is dead. The politicians are dead. Right. We don't believe them anymore, but like who are the idols that we replace them with? And I think there's a lot of, foolishness in terms of who the right is trusting and there's a lot of misguidedness going on there there's a lot of dogmatism going on there um but ultimately i think that um what's going to happen is there's this vacuum that's created where um the political the american right is seeking uh like a shining star like a beacon Mm -hmm. so, and Trump's kind of that, but I don't know if he's going to be that like when it really manifests. And this is a tremendous opportunity for a leader. And I mean, a single person to rise and just totally consolidate all of the attention and support and praise of the right. And like I said, I don't know if it's going to be Trump or not. It, it may be, but he seems a little, he's a little bit too old. I think there's going to be, there's somebody who's in their thirties or forties now that is going to be the real populist in 10 years. And that's going to be the, the, the new right wing Messiah. And I don't know if it's going to be a good person or a bad person. I hope it's a good person, but uh, it's going to be, there's going to be an overwhelming um, consensus in, in power given to that person. And that they're going to have a tremendous amount of responsibility. It sounds like you uh, were describing Dan Crenshaw. It sounds like that's going to be in a couple of years. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, no, he's uh, he's pretty terrible. I used to like him a lot, but uh, yeah, yeah. like my Joe Rogan after he got made fun of on SNL. <laughs> yeah, like at first I'm like, oh, you know, he sounds good, and then you know, you learn like two things. You read, you know, listen to Scott Horton once or twice. You're like, yeah, this dude's an asshole. But yeah, I agree that a lot of the populist right kind of seems like a sheep, you know, a bunch of not using this pejoratively, but like sheep without a shepherd. Yeah, exactly. Right, and I don't think. Once again, like I was saying earlier, Trump 
has so much baggage with him and there was so much that kind of happened throughout his presidency that I've even seen some of like the boomer cons that I work with kind of say like, well, I don't know. They still love him, but it's like with everything that happened in 2020 and how people just lost their heads and he couldn't get anything done. Um, I don't think people are willing to uphold him as the same in the same light that they did in 2016 to 2020. Um, I just don't think it's tenable. But like you said, if there's a someone like a Ron Paul in his 40s or 30s, then I would by all means support them for um, you know president of the Republican Party. There's guys like Anthony Sabatini, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's fantastic. Um, I, I, Matt Gates, that's the other one. Yeah, Matt Gates is pretty good. Um, I don't like their rhetoric around China, but um, other than that, they're really good on a lot of stuff. Um, and that's where I think Trump did good is that he kind of fostered the uh, America first conservative movement that seems to be very, very popular among the base. And they actually care about America and they don't want to do any of these ridiculous foreign policy um, adventures that once again, the right and the left has participated in over the last 20 years. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that the America first conservative movement is the populist movement. Mm-hmm. You know, that's really all it is. It's populist. And, people don't really like to use the term populist because it's too closely associated with nationalists. And of course, nationalists is too closely associated with Nazi. Um, But that's exactly what's happening. And I think that we should fucking embrace it instead of shying away from it. Um, You just have to lean into it, man. And that was what was so cool about Trump is that um, anytime there was a criticism of him, he was able to just double down and lean in. You know, they're like, oh, you fucked a porn star. And he's, and you know, he denied it, but it was like, so like, that was kind of, you know, everyone's like, so like, of course he did. <laughs> and he, and he, he had to pay her not to brag about it. And then he got his money back. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like and we're not supposed to vote for him. Like yeah. you watch a Hillary Clinton ad. It's basically the same thing as a Trump ad. <laughs> Just reasons to vote for Trump. <laughs> so um, who do you think pissed on more people, Hunter Biden or Trump? Who do I think what? Who do you think pissed on more people, Hunter Biden or Trump? Oh, physically pissed on. I think that uh, Hunter Biden's <laughs> pissed on more people for sure. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah. And it's pretty funny that they're now kind of coming around to the truth about the laptop deal. And I'm like, I I really didn't dig into it that much. I know that there's some bad shit on there. But, uh, it, you know, they what was it? The New York times, they actually took down their Twitter account because of it. And then now a year later, it's like, Oh yeah, well we, New York uh, New York post. That was it. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's so slimy. Um, were you on truth social or getter? I'm on both. Mm-hmm. Are, are they, I, I used getter and I thought getter just kind of felt like a dollar store version of Twitter. <laughs> I really I don't see that. I've had a lot of fun on getter because I have the, uh, I'm verified on getter. So I get to live stream. You got the blue and, check. Yeah. It's red, but yeah, I got the red <laughs> check. And, uh, um, I like the live stream a lot because I found that my uh, my live chat engagement on Getter Live is way better than YouTube or Twitter or any of the other platforms I stream to. So I've really enjoyed Getter. Mm -hmm. I think that they're doing some cool things. Um, But I mean, it's 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 not as sophisticated as Twitter by any means. I would really I I would really like to see Twitter get back to what it was, you know, six Mm -hmm. years ago. Right. Um, I just had another question I wanted to ask, but it completely slipped my mind. Shit. I hate it when that fucking happens. That's okay. Um, I'll come to you. Oh, no. You know what? That's what I wanted to ask. So you went to college for audio engineering? Yeah, I did. I wanted to um, uh, be a record producer, make music. 
I think you cut out though. I can still see me, but I can't see you. We'll see if you're internet reconnects. And you had a mother bottom. Yeah, oh, here my, you go. I can, I can see you now. You're yeah, back. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I, I fucking hate my internet. I, I keep joking. I'm going to strangle the next Comcast guy that comes to my house. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, what kind of music are you into? And what were you kind of looking to do after uh, college when you finish up your uh, audio degree? Well, when I went to college, I thought I wanted to be a producer and work in a real recording studio with um, signed artists and mm -hmm. make real records. Um, but uh, about a year in, I realized I didn't want to do it. So I still, I didn't change my major because I didn't want to stay in school for another year. Um, uh, so I got the degree in it and I really enjoyed the curriculum, but I just didn't want to do it. So I knew kind of early on that I wasn't going to be in the music business at all. Mm -hmm. um, so I did a bunch of extracurricular activities. I ran for student body president and won and uh, got a job in a marketing position after, after college. And that's what I've been doing ever since marketing. Um, but I'm into all sorts of types of, all sorts of different music. My favorite band of all time is the Brian Jonestown Massacre. I don't know if you ever saw the documentary Dig about them. It's awesome. And I like I listen to a lot of EDM just because wow. I, I like to listen to the mix. And what these guys do is just so amazing to me. Um, so I appreciate that. But I don't know. It's just, I'll listen to any music as long as it's good. I listen to very little rap. Okay. I thought you were about to say very little metal. I was just going to have to end the stream right there. <laughs> no, I'll listen to metal. <laughs> but I like 80s metal, man, better than like the hardcore shit from today. Like I'll listen to Motley Crue and that's like as metal as I go. Oh, my God. Pantera was the greatest band to ever walk the earth. Pantera was badass. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just remember watching the uh, vulgar home videos when I was in like uh, high school and middle school and seeing them. They have like these giant paper mache pot leaves out in front of hotels, lighting fireworks and mm -hmm. destroyed hotel rooms. Like literally the fucking rock star lifestyle, man. That, uh, that shit's cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's rock and roll. Yeah. Um, so you made that film on your YouTube. I think I watched it this morning. The uh, one American film or the uh, what the hell was it called? I know you just put it up recently, but it was uh, basically kind of describing the rise of the populist right. Um, and you titled your podcast, the one American podcast. So yeah. I, I guess kind of elaborate on why you chose the one American podcast instead of just trying to embrace conservatism inc like charlie kirk or ben shapiro because you seem to be a little bit different than them and i really like that about you thank you i appreciate that well um i'm not a fucking republican <laughs> <laughs> right i vote for republicans but i'm not a republican and uh it was really kind of in response to the identity politics shit that we see from the left the critical uh critical theory shit that we see and um my love for ayn rand and the individual and when people ask me if I was a Republican or a Democrat, I just want to say I am one American. And that's sort of been the theme and the emphasis is, is getting back to um, just identifying yourself as an, as an American or as the individual that you are and not as a, a, a part of a race or a religion or a political party. Because we've gotten to the point where the individuals of a group no longer define the group, but the group defines the individuals. And I think that's a tremendous, tremendous uh, problem that we have culturally in America right now. And the left is continuously pulling us away from uh, uh, individualism because as long as individuals are empowered, they cannot be subjugated. And they need for people to identify themselves based on the groups that they're in because groups can be uh, uh, rallied and um, uh, mobilized much, much more easily than individuals can. And if you put people in groups, then they will define whatever happens to them 
uh, based off of whatever is perceived as happening to the group. And there is no personal responsibility anymore. And all of a sudden, you can exploit every suffering and every despair that individuals within a group have as the result of an oppressor oppressing their group. And it's Marxist. It's oppressor versus oppressed. And so I'm one American. That's it. And it's also a populist thing because it's it's inherently patriotic. It's embracing America. Mm-hmm. And I believe in Americanism, the ideal, the philosophy of it. And um, I also think that true populism, you know, people think of it as collectivism just because it's the people, the people, the people. But I think that true populism, in order to, in order to manifest correctly, has to be based in individualism because the people are made up of individuals. So if you don't advocate for the individual's rights, you cannot advocate for the people, Right. And, uh, and and vice versa. If you don't if you don't support the people, you you can't claim to to benefit the individuals that 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 it consists of. And so, um, I I think of myself uh, as an individualist, but also as a populist. And I think that you have to be both, because I think they're uh, um um they're symbiotic uh, ideals, philosophies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was kind of like we were saying earlier on in the show is that uh, the reason why Donald Trump was so popular is just because all he had to do is tell people that he doesn't hate them. And I think that's a very, very powerful sentiment because, once again, if if you're going to empower these people and you're telling them, hey, I'm going to bring your jobs back, I'm going to do this for you, it's better than being told you're racist, so therefore you know, you should sit here and bow your head in shame. And I don't think that's any sustainable way to kind of run a political dialogue. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think that the left is 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 eating itself. But the problem is... The problem is kind of two pronged. The problem is the the more desperate people become, the more powerful the left becomes because people lean and look toward the government for for salvation or relief when they're when they're desperate. And we've seen this happen on the left where the left continues to advocate for programs and policies that on the surface aim to help the most vulnerable among us, but in reality perpetuate their ailing because these these programs require a massive printing of money and the printing of money inflates the dollar and reduces the buying power and increases the wealth gap. And so the, the left has figured out this con where the more they, they help their base, the more they hurt their base and the more they hurt their base, the more empowered they get by their base. Right. So it's like this vicious cycle con bullshit. And ultimately the the thing that, that I think about, um, leftism is that it's really marxist inherently and i'm not just saying that as like a conservative catchphrase it literally is marxist-based philosophy oppressor versus oppressed collectivist versus individualist and what what's going to happen is no marxist society has ever been truly self-sustaining and every time they collapse it's because they can't expand and exploit anymore like russia collapsed because it couldn't expand anymore and it just fell in on itself uh china had to take hong kong uh, uh, and it's looking at Taiwan right now. North Korea leans on China, right? And if you look at these truly Marxist communist cultures, they have to expand. And so inherently leftism, based on its, its Marxist foundation, has to expand and become globalist, mm-hmm. right? Globalism is the like saving grace of Marxism. It is the, it is the sustenance that it needs in order to, to perpetuate its own standing. And so in my opinion, the left, leftists, are inherently anti-American 
They cannot believe in national sovereignty and American sovereignty. They have to be globalists in order to survive because it's just not a self-sustaining form of, of, of power. It's not a self-sustaining system. The, it, economically, it collapses. Militarily, it collapses. Culturally, it, it collapses on itself. And so ultimately, I see left the left in America as the number one threat, the number one national security threat, the enemy of the people like fucking evil. I fucking hate leftists. And I don't know if the Republicans are the saviors or not. Probably not. I don't know if it's popular. I think it's populism. I don't know who the savior is, but I fucking know who the devil is, man. And it's the leftist. <laughs> yeah, dude, I completely agree. And the thing that um, you kind of touched on a little bit there is that there is a culture of leftism and it's egalitarianism. So in order to enforce this, once again, you need everybody top to bottom. And you spoke a little bit about Nazi mm -hmm. Germany earlier. Um, if you read Ordinary Men, which is a fantastic book, not because it's about Nazi Germany, but because it's about you, right? It's about human psychology. You need that top to bottom, you know, brotherhood, sisterhood kind of deal where you're willing to enforce things, these edicts, you know, on the very ground level, because totalitarian regimes never start top down, right? It's always from the bottom up. You instill right. the culture and then they enforce it from there. And this is what you see on college campuses, in schools, everywhere, is that, you know, there are all these insane woke leftists, these shaved head feminists. And for a side note for all the men listening, if there's ever a woman you're talking to and she has any portion of her or her head shaved, don't trust that bitch. Yeah, never trust a woman in a hat either. Yeah. <laughs> and a hat. Yeah, a uh, ball cap doesn't count. That's practical. But any okay. sort of a fashion hat, fucking evil. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, all right. I I'll make sure I add that one on next time. But next, time you next time you learn that a woman is psycho, mm -hmm. go on her Instagram, and I guarantee within 15 posts there's a hat picture. <laughs> yeah, well, either that or they're going to have a, a rug up on the wall, right? I'm sure you've probably <laughs> seen that. All, all these bitches always got rugs hanging down the wall, and they're standing in front of it with like, you know, there's like it's a so ratchet. Oh my god, yes. Yeah. So ratchet. I, I'm very thankful that I'm kind of out of the dating market, but uh I we we'll get that in a second. But yeah, so you need a cultural force to enforce all these things. And you even seen this with the COVID regime. What was happening is uh, you know, neighbors were calling on their neighbors saying, Hey, they're not wearing a mask, they're not socially distancing. Mm -hmm. Um, you need the Karens at the ground level to enforce all these edicts it, to make sure that egalitarianism and the left's principles are being followed. Yeah, I agree with you. And more more than that, the, the only way to really combat that, as far as I can determine, is not to fucking comply. Mm -hmm. Like anytime there's ever been like uh, an insurmountable injustice that somehow has been overcome, like the civil rights movement, yeah, it's it's because they didn't comply. Like, all right, we're not gonna we don't you don't even have to be violent, just not comply. Like we're gonna sit in this restaurant you know, even though we're not supposed to be here or we're going to sit on the front of the bus, even though we're not supposed to be in the front of the bus. Right. And, and ultimately that's what was so shameful in my opinion about the way COVID happened mm -hmm. um, was that too many people on the right uh, held their tongue and complied mm -hmm. and we can't fucking do that again. Right. Yeah. And the most effective way, like you said, is do not comply when it comes to this transgenderism stuff or the social justice narratives, the CRT do not use their language because once you see that territory to them, now they can keep moving it because then you have to keep adjusting their language. Don't use it. Stick to the data and you'll win from there. And I heard um, somebody I listened to a lot, Rolo Tomasi kind of refer to this um, when he was talking about the abortion deal is that basically you have to stick to the data because when you start getting caught up in the fields before reels, you know, the too long didn't read. Um, 
you lose because once again, you're stepping into their territory where they could pull you wherever they want. But if you stand mm. firm on your principles, on data, and don't get caught up in this feelsy bullshit, then you you can win virtually every single time. And I really think that's what the right and libertarians need to do rather than try to just sit here and play the emotional game because the left is clearly very, very good at that. They tug at your heartstrings. Hey, feel bad for these people. These welfare payments are going out to help these people. Um, if it just saves one life, then we should lock down all of New York and throw away the key to your home. Um, yeah. Even though now our kids are fucking eight months behind in the, in cognitive development and they can't recognize facial expressions and they can't, they, they, they're, they're changing all the standards in terms of what words a child is supposed to be able to say by what month. So yeah, we say, first of all, we didn't save any children lives anyway but let's just say we did like how many lives did we ruin or just totally screw up i mean we messed up an entire generation with that so there's always unintended consequences of this and the founding fathers had the wisdom to understand that the government was never going to be wise enough or competent enough or efficient enough to properly know how to manage every facet of society so you have to rely on you have to guarantee liberty and rely on individuals to determine what's right and wrong in any any given uh, a circumstance that's that's remotely complicated right and so that's that's why that's why we're supposed to have liberty it's supposed to be up to the individuals not to th this inefficient frankly retarded collective uh, um that that uh, uh to determine you know how, how everybody's going to live and so yeah i i totally agree with um uh, uh what you said there Nice, nice. All right, dude. Well, we've been rocking and rolling for about an hour now. Um, it's been awesome talking to you. And Me too, you are, man. Yeah, you're a freaking stud, dude. I was looking at your pictures trying to find a good one for the <laughs> thumbnail. And I'm like, man, this is one good-looking fucking dude. So you're, <laughs> a lady, you're a very lucky lady, dude. <laughs> I appreciate that, man. Thanks. Yeah, of course. Um, I got a few questions I ask every single guest before uh, we get going on out of here. What does liberty look like to you? Um. Mm -hmm. Liberty. Oh man, that's a good question. <laughs> I would say that liberty is the ability for an individual to live their life according to their own terms, to do what they want, to say what they want, to think what they want and to keep what they produce. Uh, as long as it doesn't infringe on the rights of others. Beautiful. What does health look like to you? Health? Mm -hmm. um, the same thing, I would say. So being healthy enough to do what you want, think what you want, say what you want without your uh, um, with without a sickness or an ailment or a disability uh, inhibiting um, your ability to do those things. That's awesome. what I would say. Yeah. Chase, where can everybody find you, brother? Uh, oneamericanpodcast.com or twitter.com slash realchasegeiser. That's R-E-A-L-C-H-A-S-E-G-E-I-S-E-R. Nice. Well, dude, it's been a blast and I will Likewise. share this out to everybody and hopefully everyone enjoyed the show. And uh, until next time, everybody, rock and roll. Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online master's of social work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.